God's Word and working our way through First Peter. Have any of you ever been to a circus? How many of you have been to a circus? Anybody? Always a little scary for me. I'm, I'm like a few people, you know, the clowns. I don't like the clowns. I think I only went to one in my life. I was little, and that was enough for me. And uh, But a, a sad uh, closing of a chapter. Some of you may have seen this in Barnum Bailey Circus. They're retiring the elephants after this week. After more than 100 years, they're shipping them off to some wildlife refuge in Florida where they can live out the rest of their days. Uh, just uh, not uh, jumping on balls or whatever the elephants do and and uh, doing the tricks. Looked like to me, you know, in seeing that, that they kind of enjoyed doing that. But of course, the animal activists said, no, no, that's cruelty to the animals. And so after a lot of protests, well, Barnum and Bailey finally gave in and they're retiring the elephants. The circus has been around for a long, long time. In fact, Nero, in the first century, had what he called outside of Rome the circus. And it was a, uh, a track where they would have chariot races. They would always ha- also have entertainment. People would come there. They had uh, stadium seating. And uh, they would uh, uh, do all kinds of animal entertainment that mostly was not the kind of thing that you would see in a circus, but it was uh, people running from wild animals and then being destroyed and eaten. And uh, so you've probably heard of Nero, uh, the infamous ruler of Rome. And Peter, the writer of the first and second epistle, we believe, church historians have long believed, went to be with the Lord under martyrdom and persecution and being murdered by Nero. And it could have very well been in the area which is called the circus. I want to read from a first century historian, not a believer, but one who wrote about first century events, and his name is Tacitus. The fire that ravaged Rome in AD 64 caused quite a stir. And uh, people were upset because block after block after block was burned. And of course, as you know, Nero is suspected of starting the fire or having his people start the fire so he could clear off a huge part of the city to build buildings for his own glory that he wanted. Now, you also recall that Nero, deflecting the blame and the criticism that was coming his way, what did he do? He blamed it on the Christians. And this started a massive persecution against first century believers. Let me read from Tacitus, a first century historian. First then, the confessed members of the sect, the sect of Christians, he was not a Christian, so he called them a sect in his account, were arrested. Next, on their disclosures, vast numbers were convicted. Not so much on the account of arson, as for the hatred of the human race. I think that's interesting with what's going on in our culture. Bible-believing Christians are going to become hated for the fact that we are, according to the culture, intolerant, bigoted, hate-filled, and they, they color us in that way because of our stand on Scripture that we believe in an absolute moral uh, 
standard, that uh, there is clear right and wrong. And because of that, anytime you say something that seems to be uh, negative toward anyone else or any group, then they, they say that you're harmful to the human race. You're harmful in the way that you believe. This, these type of views are dangerous. Christians will be cast more and more in this light. But it's not new. It's exactly what was happening even in the first century. And derision, reading now again from Tacitus, and derision accompanied therein. They were covered with wild beast skins and torn to death by dogs. Or they were fastened on crosses. And when daylight failed, were burned to serve as lamps by night. Nero had offered his gardens for the spectacle and gave an exhibition in his circus mixing with the crowd in the habit of a charioteer. So he would ride on his emperor's chariot, and he would ride around and make sure everyone was having a great time as Christians were being murdered. Or he was mounted on his racing chariot. Hence, in spite of a guilt which had earned the most exemplary punishment, there arose a sentiment of pity. So instead of the Christians being being seen as the blame for what took place, then in some of the Romans, there arose a pity or compassion. And although many, many believers were persecuted, many were swept into the kingdom. What, what Satan meant for evil, God turned for good as many heard the gospel, as they saw how believers died, how they suffered these tortures, and how they would not recant but continue giving praise to God. And so many, many were saved because of the suffering that Nero inflicted upon them. There arose a sentiment of pity due to the impression that they were being sacrificed, not for the welfare of the Roman state, but to the ferocity of a single man, Nero. They would even strap some believers to the wheels of chariots, and they would race then the chariots around, and it would kill the people, of course, after a while, who were strapped, breaking their legs, bashing their heads. Horrible fates awaited many of the believers, men and women and young people. But God used this great suffering to spread the gospel in an amazing way, of which you and I are the benefactors today, because the gospel was spread like a flaming fire. First Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Last week we looked at our calling, His glory. Today we continue with looking at our suffering, His glory. Verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This was written before Nero's persecution, just a few years before. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And that deserves an amen. Lord, I pray that you would receive glory in our lives today as we hear your word and as we obey. Lord, none of us know what suffering may await us in our future. Your first century servants didn't. Peter didn't. But Lord, you will give us grace because you're the God of all grace. Lord, you have a purpose 
in any suffering that you allow your children to endure. And Lord, your, your purposes are always good. And Lord, your grace is always sufficient. And Lord, may we, may we hold on to your word. May we stand on your word that we may be able to give you glory in times of suffering. Father, we praise you and we love you and we thank you. Spirit of God, speak to us now as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember when Peter and the other disciples were sitting around the fire as Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection? And Peter was being told by Jesus to, to feed the sheep, feed the sheep, feed the sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then Peter looked over at John and said, what about this one? What will happen to him? And Jesus said, don't worry what's going to happen with John, in essence. He said, you just be concerned about what happens in your life. Don't compare yourselves with others. Don't, don't try to analyze what God's doing with someone else and God's doing with you. That's the sin of comparison. You just say, Lord, I'm surrendered to you. Whatever you want to do in my life, I'm yours. I obey you. And then the Lord Jesus said to Peter, you're going to be led where you don't want to be led. And the word there that's used in John 21 is the stretching out of the arm. It's the word that's used for when someone was stretched out and laid upon the cross. Although we don't know for sure, we believe that Peter, that was his destiny. To be stretched out on the cross and to die for the Lord. And he suffered for the Lord's sake. And the Lord told him that he would. And we know that suffering is a part of believers' lives. Sixteen times in the letter of 1 Peter alone, sixteen times the Greek word pasco is used, which is translated suffering. And we've been called to glorify God through suffering. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1. At the very beginning of this letter, Peter starts out by saying in verse 6. Look with me if you would. In verse 6. In this... You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter started out his message to the first century believers by saying, what I'm going to talk to you about is about the suffering that you're going to go through. Now that's not a great way to, to encourage people and to build a church and to get vast numbers to hear what you're going to say. The church today doesn't speak much on suffering, although many believers all across the globe suffer mightily and in a way that we can't even imagine because of their faith in Christ. There are many believers coming to Christ in lands where it is illegal. Iran is having a great work of God. Many are being swept into the kingdom. Most of them young people. They're hearing the gospel and they're embracing Christ and they're turning away from Islam. God is on the move. God is at work, but it comes with a price. The 21st century American church cares little for persecution or suffering. But for those who seek to honor Christ, persecution is on its way for the church of America. And I believe that along with that, side 
by side and hand in hand will come revival to the church. I pray that, but I believe it'll come through suffering. And so Peter is saying, you're going to suffer, but it's going to bring great honor and great glory to Jesus Christ. Well, we are called to suffer, first of all, for righteousness sake. For righteousness sake. It's a part of being right with God. It's not separate from. It's a part of. You can't say, well, I want heaven and I want forgiveness of sin and say, but I'm not interested in this suffering stuff. You can't do that. You can't pick and choose when it comes to what God wants to do in our lives. Now, it shouldn't come as any surprise to the believers that Peter was writing to or to us today. Look back with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' very first message. His very first public message in Matthew 5. And in verse 10, he says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs, in the original language it says, for theirs alone is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. Oh, we like to worship the Lord. We like to come together in fellowship. We like the joys of the Christian life. We like the fact that we have been forgiven of our sin. We love the fact that the Lord is with us and He strengthens us and we can call upon Him and He hears us. We love all of the graces and the benefits of the Christian life that the Lord gives us. But what Jesus said from the very beginning is there's persecution in the Christian life even from your own family at times, even from those whom you might count as your dearest friends. There is a price to be paid. There is a cost for our commitment to Christ. And Jesus lets us know right from the get-go. In verse 11, He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, on my account, Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets, the Old Testament prophets who were before you. Turn back to 1 Peter. And I want you to see that Peter over and over again said this is one of the primary reasons why that uh, God allows us to suffer, that God calls His children to suffer, is for righteousness' sake. 1 Peter 2 and verse 20. 1 Peter 2 and verse 20. In fact, back up to verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. That doesn't sound too appealing. But it's a part of the Christian life. And for preachers and for pastors who do not preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, that just preach in a way that kind of makes it all look good and all look great and appealing. And you'll want this. You'll want to make your life a better life by trusting Christ. And they leave this out. That's not what God intends. He, will, he intends for us to know exactly what it means to follow Christ. And Peter said in chapter 3 and verse 14, he said this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. And he goes on to say in verse 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter said here, sometimes it's God's will. In following the Lord and obeying the Lord, in doing what God has called us to do, that God has incorporated in that will for our lives that a part of being obedient will be that we'll suffer. Suffer for righteousness sake. Suffer for doing what God has called us to do. And then in verse uh, 16 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, we see this. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, have you suffered much as a Christian? What have you suffered for the sake of Christ? If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. All you and I have to glorify God for is because of the name of Jesus. That's it. There's nothing in us. There's nothing good of us. It is only because of that name. And so if we suffer for that name, then just like the apostles in the book of Acts, they praised the Lord. They glorified God when they were beaten for the sake of Christ. There's great joy for suffering for righteousness' sake. The second reason why we've been called to suffer, we've been called to suffer for Jesus' sake and the gospel's sake. Turn with me, if you would, to Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8 and verses 17 and 18. Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know that you're a child of God? Say, how do you know if you're a child of God? The Spirit in you will bear witness to the Spirit of God. Because if you're truly saved, the Spirit of God is not just outside somewhere a part of the Trinity that you don't know, He is in you and bears witness with your spirit because He lives within you. You know that you know that you know that you're His child because the Spirit bears witness. Powerful verse, verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Are you a child of God? Then you will suffer for Christ. If you don't suffer for Christ, or if you back away from suffering as it approaches, that could be an indicator that you're not truly His child. If you say, I don't want to have anything to do with suffering. I don't, if people reject me, then I don't want to have anything to do with Christ. I don't want to live for Christ because it, it may cost me friends. It may cost me a broken relationship with family members. Then that could be an indicator that you're not truly saved. For Paul is saying, listen, if you are truly a child of God, it comes with the territory. When you take on the name of Christ, you will suffer for him being his child. Couldn't be any plainer. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, in one of his last words that he wrote, he's writing to young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, he says this, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. One of the ways that you know that you're saved is if you're embarrassed to talk about Jesus in any setting, that could be an indicator that you're not really his. Now, I believe we ought to be bold, and I believe we ought to live without fear, and I believe we ought to be unashamed to introduce Jesus and introduce his name in any context. But I don't believe we ought to be obnoxious about it and just bowl people over. But I believe that when there's opportunity and when we have opportunity to let others know that we are His and that we love Him and to introduce Christ in conversation, in the context of what's going on in our life, maybe it's in difficulty or in struggle, we call upon the name of the Lord or we mention the name of the Lord. But if we have any reticence, if we're ashamed to do that, that could be an indicator that either we are not truly saved or we're not right with the Lord at this particular moment in our life and we need to repent. Because Paul said, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the Lord, but share, look again, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Listen, child of God, part of your calling is to suffer for Jesus' sake. To suffer for righteousness sake. Now sometimes believers suffer just because they're being obnoxious. That's not the same thing as suffering for Jesus' sake or suffering for righteousness sake. Let the Lord so stir your heart. God's people ought to be, we ought to be kind. We ought to be winsome. We ought to be caring. We ought to be compassionate. We ought to be loving. And at the same time, bold. And we ought to be grateful for our God, unashamed to lift up praise to our God, unashamed for what Christ has done for us, ready to give a testimony, to give a praise to God at any moment. God's people ought to do that. It thrills my heart as a pastor to be a part of your lives and to be a part of what God's doing in your life. And, and one of the things that so thrills my heart is when I hear of you telling others about the Lord of you just giving praise to God with other people and in conversations. And I hear about that. You don't tell me about that, but I hear about that. I hear about your children giving praise to God, your children praying and lifting up praise to the Lord. And we ought to teach our children to never be ashamed of Jesus, to always speak of Jesus easily and confidently and joyously. How are people going to know? unless they hear. How are they going to hear of our wonderful Lord unless we tell them? You've heard the story of the young man who got saved and he was determined to, to let others know at his school that he was a Christian. And so he was going to he was going to pray every day in front of everybody else at the cafeteria. He didn't ever tell anybody what happened to him, and he was just gonna he was just gonna live in a way that hopefully others would see that he loved Jesus now and that his life had changed, and maybe they would see him praying over his meal. And after two or three weeks, one of his friends said, Hey, what's the deal with you? You act a little different. He was so excited because somebody had noticed. And so he said, Yeah, yeah, I, I am different. And his friend said, Well, what's up with you? He said, well, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ. He said, oh, you're one of those religious fanatics. I thought you were a vegetarian. I thought that's what was going on. And so if we don't tell people, how are they going to know 
what's going on with us. They may think we're just on some kind of different kick, you know, doing things a little different. Speak the name of Jesus. Lift high the name of Jesus at every opportunity that you have for Jesus' sake. Thirdly, we're called to suffer for others' sake. It's a very important reason why God allows us to suffer. Some of you have suffered in ways, and some of you are suffering now in ways that are just incredibly painful. But I want you to know one of the reasons why God allows suffering, and it may not always be comforting to us in the moment that we're suffering, but God allows His children to suffer because we are His, and we have His grace and His mercy as we call upon Him. Others don't know Him but need to know Him. And so they need to see that there's something different in the way His children suffer. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5. Is this too much turning in the Bible? Oh, this is, this is church, isn't it? I guess we should turn in the Bible and look and see what the Bible has to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. By the way, if the toughest thing that you do is go to church then you're not suffering for Jesus. That's not suffering. Verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too, or in God's grace. Abundant suffering, abundant grace. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul said, The suffering that I'm enduring, that God purposes to take place in my life, it works out for your good. It works out so you might know Him, so some of you will get saved. Paul said, so it's good. It's all good. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You say, why do, I, why do I go through what I'm going through? Why, why have I had to endure this? Why has God allowed me to go through this pain? One of the reasons God's Word tells us that we go through suffering and that we're called to suffering is that we might experience the grace of God in a way that we would not otherwise and in a way that it would show others the grace of God and put on display how great is our God. Now listen, how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have family or friends that, that you've prayed that God would save? You've asked God to save them. And all of us do. Now would you be willing to say to the Lord on behalf of those that you know that you're concerned for and that you're praying for, and some of you have children and grandchildren, that you're praying that God's grace would capture their heart, that they would be saved before it's everlastingly too late. How many of you would be willing to say, and God, as I pray for that friend, and as I pray for that family member, as I pray for my child or my grandchild, God, if you would choose to take me through a time of suffering, to display your grace, to display your mercy, to display your goodness, to your character and who you are. God, if you would so choose to do that, whatever you desire, your will be done. Would we do that? Would we suffer on behalf of someone else so they might come to know the Lord? Would we suffer on behalf of another believer just so they might grow in the Lord? Now, they're already going to heaven. 
but their faith is weak. They struggle in following the Lord. Would we be willing to suffer in order that another believer might be encouraged and have a walk with God and be strengthened in their walk with God because they see God at work in your life and your time of suffering? Would you be willing to do that? Every believer, although it's difficult to pray that prayer, because if you pray that prayer, I want to warn you, it's very serious. You better do a heart check. But to say, Lord, whatever you desire, however you want to work in my life, if it's through suffering that you might be brought greater glory, someone coming to know you, someone brought closer to you, God, I lay down my life. I lay down my comfort and my ease for others' sake. You know, Kim and I have talked about this, Donnie, several times as we prayed for your mom. As she's going through this suffering and cancer, as y'all are walking with her through this, her attitude, her faith in Christ, her concern for others, as they are caring for her, is just exactly what the Scripture is talking about. Her concern is not for herself, whether she gets well or whether she doesn't. It is that the Lord is glorified and that God's grace is displayed and that others might come to know Him in a greater way. That's a very tough lesson, especially if it's your own family. But I'll tell you what, God is good and God's purposes are good. The question is for each of us, are we willing to say, God, whatever you want to do in my life to display your glory? We're called to suffer for his glory. Now, the next thing is for fellowship's sake. We're called to suffer for fellowship's sake. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he said that I may know him. This is interesting. Paul wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament, knew more about God than any other man that's ever breathed. And yet he said, I want to know him more. That's why Paul was Paul, and you're you. Paul knew so much about God, and he just loved God, and he followed God, and he just surrendered to God completely. But he said, I want to know Him more. I want to know Him more. And he said, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Oh, we like that. Power. Lord, I want to know Your power. I want my life to be full of your power. I want my family to experience your power. Lord, I want the your power upon my life. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and what? Here's, what, here's where we put on our brakes and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Oh, we want the resurrection and the joy and the hallelujah, and that's great. But Paul said the cross comes before the resurrection. Lord, I want to be like you at your crucifixion. What he was saying is, I want to suffer with obedience. I want to suffer according to your word. I want to suffer, but to do it honoring the Father. Lord, I want to follow you if it means going to the cross for you. I want to follow you no matter what the suffering is and lay down my life in order to honor the Father. I want to be like you at your crucifixion to share in your suffering. Now the next thing and the last thing is this. Hebrews 5.8. Hebrews 5.8. Not only do we uh, 
Are we called for righteousness sake to suffer? We're called for Jesus sake. We're called for others sake to suffer. We're called for fellowship sake that we may be near to the Lord. Now watch out. Some of you are praying, Lord, just draw me near to you. Watch out. Now, if you really mean that, that's a great prayer to pray. But a lot of times when we pray, God, I just want to be nearer to you. The fellowship of his suffering is the nearest that we can be, I think, to Christ. Knowing him in a way that we could not know him otherwise. Oh, it's great to fellowship with other believers and worship and to be near to the Lord that way. It's great to be praying with other believers and be lifting up the Lord in our prayers and, and to stand together in prayer. That's a great way to experience God's nearness. But to go through suffering and then to experience Him so close in times of brokenness and pain and even despair, not knowing what God's doing, but just knowing that He's near us. That's a nearness that every believer should experience. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. We're called to suffer for growth's sake. This is an amazing verse. Speaking of Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus did as God in flesh what God could have never done enthroned in glory. He experienced the difficulties of the flesh. He experienced the trials of the flesh and the temptations of the flesh. And He yielded His will to the Father's will as the Son of Man. Fully God. Fully man. But He obeyed the Father in the same way that you and I are called to obedience. And He learned obedience. Not that He learned more knowledge, but He experienced obedience through suffering. There are some things that God desires to teach His children through the lessons of suffering that we cannot learn in any other way. How many of you just love tests at school? I mean, you just look forward to test day. And I mean, the bigger the test, the more excited you got. Probably none of us. I mean, I was always nervous. Always did pretty well, but I was always nervous. And I'd look back after, you know, it was given back and I'd say, wow, I'm kind of surprised. Tests are usually never enjoyable. But we learn. Through yielding to tests. How many of you would be willing to say today, Lord, whatever test you lay out before me in my life, whatever they may be, Lord, my desire is to glorify you and my desire is to learn the lessons that you desire to teach me. Would you be willing to yield that to the Lord just in the, the quietness of your heart? Lord, whatever you desire to do in my life for your glory, whatever you desire to teach me in the difficulties and the sufferings that you may have purposed for me to walk through, Lord, you are good and I want to glorify you and I want to learn obedience. Now listen, let me ask you something. Are you better than the Son of God who learned obedience through suffering? Do you qualify for any exemption? Say, wait a minute, Lord! I'm not in for that. I didn't sign up for that. Lord, I'm glad that you're taking me to heaven, but this suffering stuff, I really don't want any of that. No, no exemption clause in the gospel. There's no option out of suffering for his glory. 
I want to tell you something. There is a joy in suffering. Now, I didn't say that suffering is great, but there is a joy in suffering that can be found nowhere else. The Bible also says this, and I, I just want to remind you of it. Galatians 3, 4, Paul said to the believers there in the churches of Galatia, he said, have you suffered all these things in vain? You can suffer and it not accomplish any purpose, much less bring God glory. There is a suffering which is worthless. There is a suffering where there are no lessons learned. There is no fellowship of the Spirit. There is no growth in Christ. There is no display for others to see the goodness of God. It's just suffering for no reason. Because you're unyielded. You haven't repented of sin. Maybe God is dealing with you. He's trying to draw you to repentance. For whatever it is, you are not surrendered to the Lord. And you're suffering. And sometimes we look back and we haven't learned the lessons God wants us to learn. We haven't displayed His glory because instead of giving Him glory, we've become bitter and we've suffered in vain. I want to tell you something. Suffering comes to every life. Is it going to be worthwhile and have purpose? Is it going to bring God glory? Is it going to display Christ and the cross? Or is it going to be worthless? Lamentations 1.12 You don't have to turn there. But if you put this verse on a placard and just drove it into the ground, a stake under the cross, it would catch the thought of so many. In Lamentations it says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any suffering like my suffering. Look at the cross. All suffering points to the cross. You say, why does God allow suffering? The question is, why did God allow His Son to suffer? Innocent and perfect and holy and righteous. Don't accuse God because suffering exists. Look at yourself and say, why haven't you looked to the cross? Is it nothing to you as you pass by? Does the cross mean absolutely nothing at all? Is there any suffering like His suffering? Stop looking at your suffering. Stop looking at even others' suffering. And let all suffering point you to the suffering of the cross. Don't let it be for nothing that Jesus suffered for you. Don't let that be in vain. You can look to the cross today and live. Trust in Him. Look to Him. He suffered that you might live. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you, how His Spirit has addressed your heart. But if there is something you need to say to the Lord, don't let this moment pass by. Don't let this moment be in vain. You allow the Lord to do what He can do. Just say yes to Him. Say Maybe, it, maybe it's saying, Lord, I don't know what you have for me out ahead. And Lord, if it includes suffering, I want to say right now, I yield to You. You are my God. And Lord, I want You to be glorified in all of my life. Lord, I want to draw near to You. If that means the fellowship of suffering, Lord, I want to draw near to You. I want to know You more. However God is dealing with you, just yield your heart to Him. 
Heavenly Father, I pray if there's someone here who has never been saved, oh Lord, I pray that today they, they just won't pass by the cross. They won't pass by Your suffering. But Lord, they would bow before You. They would fall, Lord, before the cross of shame and suffering. And Lord, they would call upon You. Lord, I pray for each of us who are believers that, that we might desire to know You more. That we might yield to whatever You have called us in this issue of suffering. Lord, that our hearts would be tender and obedient. Surrender to You. And God, when we leave this place today, I pray that we would leave knowing that our lives are firmly placed in Your hands. Whatever You desire. And Lord, we're going to rejoice and we're going to praise You and we're going to seek to honor You and give You glory for we've been called to suffer for Your glory. God, may it be so in each of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.